Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Conservatism needs to be rediscovered. That is, it needs to be differentiated from the post-World War II concept of liberal democracy and return to its traditional three pillars of religion, nationalism, and economic growth. And it needs to be thought of as Anglo-American conservative conservatism, rooted in the tradition of the English Constitution, going back to such thinkers as John Fortescue, circa 1394 to 1479, and John Selden, 1584 to 1654. We need to be a God-fearing nation with nation and religion at the center of our national belief system. We must live conservative lives. These are some of the arguments made by the political theorist and public intellectual Yaram Hazoni in his 2022 book, Conservatism, A Rediscovery. It is a provocative book that even many conservatives will take issue with. For example, Hazoni puts a good deal of emphasis on the importance of hierarchy, both within the family and in society at large. Given that a good deal of the rationale of right-wing thinking in recent years has been predicated on the necessity for nonviolent rebellion against the establishment in the Republican Party and the left-wing dominance of academia, Hazoni's arguments may not be embraced by large swaths of the right. But to get conservatives and those on the right who do not identify as conservatives as thinking about what they stand for, what they want, and how to get it is one of the goals of the books of the book. It succeeds. To those who might blanch at the embrace of religion in the public sphere, Hazoni argues that for all intents and purposes, the increasingly powerful political philosophy, woke neo-Marxism, is itself a religion. Hazoni criticizes the right for acquiescing in the relegation of traditional religion to the private sphere. He argues robustly for religion, particularly Christianity, to serve as a countervailing force to wokeism. In the face of of a progressive order that leaves people in the position of being unable to distinguish between, say, a man and a woman, Hazoni advocates for such measures as ending the ban on on the Bible and God in the public school classroom. This is a full-throated defense of conservatism and is therefore must-reading for those on all sides of the political spectrum. Hazoni addresses the need for the idea of a nation, its cohesion, and its inherited traditions. For that, he says, you need conservatism. And by conservatism, he means a public conservatism, a public tradition, traditionalism in those places where there's a majority that will support it. Hazoni maintains that our culture must support parents and congregations in the work of the transmission of values that ensure respect for tradition, nation, and hierarchy. This book is a substantive intellectual history of conservative thought and profiles significant figures in the conservative movement, for example, William F. Buckley, Frank Meyer, and Russell Kirk. It is also a clarion call for those who claim to be conservatives to live genuinely conservative lives. Hazoni urges conservatives to stand up for principles like the public acknowledgement of God and such core values as the honor due to parents by their adult children, loyalty within marriage, and observance of the Sabbath. In the Hazoni version of conservatism, all 10 of the Ten Commandments ought to be the basis for our country's social and political life. He includes in his memoir... In his book, A Memoir of His Days at Princeton University in the 1980s, where a campus culture of loose living and rampant drinking led him to seek out a life of faith and family. College students of today and their parents would do well to read this moving chronicle of a young person surrounded by decadence who escapes its ravages via a solid marriage and a return to traditional religion. Let's hear from Mr. Hazoni about his book and the path forward for conservatives and America itself. Hello, everyone. My name is Hope J. Lehman, and I am one of the hosts of the New Books Network. I am talking today with Yoram Hazoni, the author of the 2022 book, Conservative, a Rediscover- Conservatism, a Rediscovery. Thank you for joining us today, Yoram. Hello, Hope. I'm glad to be here with you. Well, thank you. I'm very, I'm very honored, and I very much enjoyed reading your book and learned a lot from it. I'd like to start with the title. What do you mean by the word use of the word re- rediscovery? For example, 
What, what do you feel has been forgotten by conservatives? And who would you point to on the public stage in our own day as being conservative? There seems to be a huge range of figures that some might point to from people like Ben Shapiro or Tucker Carlson to politicians such as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to Supreme Court justices like Amy Coney Barrett and Clarence Thomas. I do want to make clear that your book is not primarily concerned with the rough and tumble of retail politics, but could you orient us a bit about what conservative looks like conservatism looks like right now? Sure. Um, I, I, I think traditionally there's been a, um, in, in uh, the United States and other Western countries, uh, there's been a, a familiar debate between liberals and conservatives. And in the traditional way these terms were used, uh, a liberal was somebody who, uh, who would think that politics is basically about the rights, uh, the, the individual liberties, uh, and equality of the individual, and conservatives, um, all, you know, although they, they they might and do cherish uh, individual rights, conservatives tend to begin with the existence of uh, of loyalty groups, of a, a family, a tribe, a nation, and ask the question: what, what do I need to do in order for my nation to be able to go forward? Uh, across the generations to get stronger from one generation to another. Now, when you when you think in terms of uh, of this kind of conservative way of looking at politics, you uh, you have to talk about questions like: uh, Is the society cohesive? Um, do, does it hold up under under external and internal pressure? What what do we need to do in order to make people? Uh, uh, lo loyal to the uh, inherited traditions of, of the country and to defend its independence. And um, I, I think that this, that this crucial debate between liberals and conservatives largely disappeared from uh, American and European uh, public life uh, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, there's kind of this this um, dramatic collapse of communism, followed by a you know what I see as kind of a utopian embrace of liberalism across the political spectrum. So there you know there could be arguments between Democrats and Republicans, but pretty much everybody became uh, a liberal, and I I, I think a, a lot of what we're seeing today uh, re reaching its Climax in in 2020 with sort of the uh, the the takeover of many of the liberal institutions by woke neo Marxists is the result of the uh, the the suppression or the disappearance of this genuine conservative way of uh, of thinking, and the book proposes that we should uh, rediscover it both you know historically and and at the level of political theory and and personal life. Well, that's very helpful. I, I wanted to I wanted to ask about there's a new movement called national conservatism, and you're one of the leaders of that. I wonder if you could discuss differentiate that between, say, the thought of William F. Buckley, the fusionism of Frank Meyer, the neoconservative conservatism of people like Irving Kristol, whom you admire, I know from the book, and Richard John Newhouse, and the intercalism or post-liberalism of people like Patrick Deneen and Adrian Vermeule, and who were the thinkers? Who are the American thinkers that most influenced you on the, on, on your, the formation of your own conservatism? Well, that's a lot of questions. Yeah, I, I think, <laughs> but there, your I, book I, is so rich. I was just—I oh. say every—I think every line in the book is underlined. I went through several pens on it. Oh, thank you. Um, so I, I would say that in terms of, um, of 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 recent thinkers, meaning the the last couple of generations, mm -hmm. I think that. I think that Irving Kristol probably, uh, who I, I knew personally, probably had the 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 largest impact on 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 my political thought. Um, Irving Kristol is uh, remembered as you know kind of the the key figure of the neoconservatives, but but we have to be careful with that term because um, in the 1980s, when when I was first getting uh, reading conservatives and getting getting involved in in this kind of uh, political thought. The word meant something very, very different from what it means today. Today, the word neoconservative is associated with um, with this uh, the support of uh, let's call it liberal internationalism. the The idea that uh, that individual liberties, free markets, open borders are what we need in order to govern the entire world, and that 
the best thing would be if the entire planet would be uh, brought under uh, th th this kind of worldwide, worldwide, uh, worldwide rule of liberals or liberalism. Mm. And uh, Irving Crystal um, was, you know, almost the exact opposite of that. If you if you pick up his his terrific. Uh, book from 1983, Reflections on a ne of a Neoconservative, you, you'll see that um, he was very skeptical about, uh, uh, about the ability of human rights or the freedom of the market to be able to extend beyond, uh, beyond the countries where it was first developed, you know, the, the, the English-speaking countries. And he was especially skeptical of the possibility of maintaining anything like uh, like the free enterprise system in, in the absence of strong uh, nationality, national independence, and especially religion, which he thought was the most important uh, component of conservatism. And his, his idea was that, um, that the, uh, the, the freedom of the market where, you know, where we get to you know, buy and sell whatever we want and uh, at whatever price we can, you know, we can uh, uh, agree to by contract. His argument was that, that that was great for economic growth, but that it was terrible in, for, uh, for families uh, and nations, basically any kind of uh, loyalty group, any type of group that human beings are loyal to is, uh, is not based on contract. And it's, it's based on obligations that are inherited rather than being chosen. So just to, you know, to, to pick an obvious example, none of us choose who our parents are. We don't even choose who our children are. You know, our, 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 our children are born and they, they turn into, you know, uh, to very different kinds of people. And, and we owe them things um, just like we owe our parents and, and other relations. Um, we're not, we're not able to say, no, you know, I, 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 I wanted this kind of child, but you're the wrong kind of child, so I don't have any obligations to you. And Crystal's point, which uh, which I think is is um, a very good re recapitulation of of something that appears repeatedly through many centuries of conservative tradition, is that these inherited obligations, which are not chosen, they're actually what allows uh, the society to uh, propagate over centuries. And Crystal thought that if you eliminated these involuntary obligations, then you you would quickly lose lose your country, something which is barely barely discussed by uh, by you know people who call themselves conservatives today. And the fact that the word nationalism has come to seem almost a pejorative in many people's eyes, they, 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 they equate it with white supremacy or everything evil, whereas nationalism is, is, I lived in Asia for several years, and it's not as though the Japanese or the Chinese are not proud of their nations and have a very strong sense of nationhood. Could you talk about the term nationalism and the way it's used now by the left sure. in particular? Sure. I, I, I use the word nationalism the way that you know that 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 I learned it growing up in you know in my my father's house my my family's Israeli and uh, as you say uh, many countries like uh, uh, Israel and India lots of other countries use the use the word nationalism to mean um, a a theory of the way the world should be governed where um, many nations have their independence and are able to chart their their own independent course and not be subservient to some kind of foreign empire. And uh, so, when, when when Crystal and others were using the term, what what they meant by it was um, that uh, the, the kind of thing that uh, that today is associated with Brexit or the you know the. Uh, the Trump movement. I don't mean you know necessarily Donald Trump specifically, but the um, the, the the people rallying around what, what's now called national conservatism are people who are 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 trying to say, look, we we don't we're not interested in trying to establish a a, a universal rule of a single law around the entire globe. We we don't want to be subjected to it, and we don't want to subject others to it. And that, that comes down to, that's a big theory, but it comes down to practical politics on, on questions like, um, 
does a corporation, if it's an American corporation, does it have any kind of responsibility to American workers? Or should the, the owners just be free to move their, their, their corporation to China, regardless of its impact on uh, American national security or, or on the American economy or the availability of jobs? And uh, a nationalist will say, look, there really is such a thing as a nation. And uh, we, we owe things to our fellow, our fellow nationals. And uh, that might include um, uh, slowing down immigration or uh, uh, na national uh, steps to, be, to, to uh, uh, reinforce the national religious or, or constitutional traditions in the school systems, all of these things um, arises issues as soon as you say the nation the nation is something uh, real that all of us benefit from, and uh, and it needs to be protected like the family. I was going to ask in terms of national conservatives, is it a recognized movement? If and and who who are or its leaders and who are who are its who are its conservative critics, the critics on the right that do not like it. I know there's a lot of unfortunate internecine warfare on the right. And I think your book is a wonderful book, go-to book to, to thrash those things out in a very civil way. Could you tell, talk about the, 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 the national conservatives and where, where does one go to find them? Who, do, who are their leaders? Okay. Well, the, uh, the, this, um, it, it is, it is a rec recognized movement. It's, it's discussed quite a bit online mm -hmm. uh, in all sorts of media, both by people who like it and people who don't like it. And people are still, still wondering the, um, the, the original gathering of what later became the national conservative movement was um, uh, right after Brexit, right after Brexit and, and, and Trump's election, president Trump's election in 2016 in December of that, year immediately after the election there was a a, a gathering uh in glencove on uh, new york um that included um uh, people like uh, rusty reno the the uh the editor of uh first things magazine professor Pro professor joshua mitchell uh from from uh, georgetown yeah i've uh, interviewed him he's a wonderful person yeah no, he, he he's he's just he's he's among the finest people I know. Um, John O'Sullivan, uh, who was the longtime editor of uh, of uh, National Review, now the head of the Danube Institute, and uh, and others. And the um, this this group gathered in order to try to um, to talk about uh, at the level of of ideas. Um, separating ourselves to a certain extent from the, you know, the question of political personalities. You know, po political personalities are obviously uh, very important in elections, but when you're trying to figure out, you know, what's the overall uh, public philosophy, what's the framework that we want to go forward with, um, it, it's helpful to back off a bit from, you know, day-to-day -day developments in politics and, and talk about, you know what ideas are 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 uh, causing harm. What are ideas are potentially beneficial, and what do we need to to, to bring you know to to uh, uh, to advance in order to to bring health to uh, to a given country or to to various countries. So that that was um, that led to a series of large conferences, which uh, have now been running for several years, called uh, the National Conservatism Conferences. And there have uh, been three annual conferences in the United States. There have been three annual conferences in Europe. And, uh, and this, this coming year, it looks like there, there's going to be NatCon 4 in, in America and, and a NatCon UK conference, at least those two. Um, people can find out about it on online. There's a there's a website called nationalconservatism.org, um, and uh, when you go to that website, you'll see um, you, you'll see uh, uh, articles and 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 books by various authors. In addition to the sort of founding members that I named, um, you know, pr probably the uh, the most important spokesman for national conservatism in recent years has been uh, Chris Demuth. Uh, who um, who was the the longtime head of the American Enterprise Institute, and what um, th these and uh, and and uh, our many other colleagues, um, what what we're involved in is uh, trying to restore the idea of the nation 
to be central in our politics. Now that you know that that, that doesn't mean we we all agree about everything, uh, but but there there is a there's definitely a um, a kind of a school of national conservatism. Uh, which in in the United States is is uh, uh, associated, you know, in, in addition to President Trump, with people like um, like uh, Governor De- DeSantis mm. and uh, uh, J.D. Vance, who's going to be a senator senator now. Um, senator Josh Hawley uh, is a, a, has been to all of our all of our American conferences. Mm. Um, Mark, Marco Rubio is also uh, in in a lot of ways, I think, uh, an important national conservative figure. And uh, and many, many, many others like, you know, the, when, when you look at our when you look at the website, the last conference had uh, in Miami had uh, uh, about 110 speakers. And um, and, mm. and you know, th- these are these are people uh, most of them are not politicians. Most of them are academics, journalists, um, uh, uh, think tank people who are are trying to apply uh, the principles that we're talking about to to all sorts of particular issues. Hmm. Well, I was going to say you, you mentioned the importance of ideas, and one of the, the strengths of your book is that, in some ways, I don't think it's a rediscovery. To me, it was, and I think for other readers, it was really an introduction to conservatism. For example, you mentioned a figure that I had never heard of, and you call him the greatest conservative, John Selden. And I wonder, could you talk about him and the importance of, of, of his period and the formative ideas for what what you're working on in in our time? Sure. Um, there's. Look, the, the, there's kind of like this um, uh, slogan. It's 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 like an intellectual slogan that you hear all the time, even even among very educated people. Uh, they say that Edmund Burke was the first conservative or the founder of conservatism, um, and and that, you know that's that's it's a strange thing to think because if you open, you know, Burke obviously was was this. Uh, uh, this great Anglo-Irish statesman during the time of the French Revolution, who became uh, famous in history as the the leading opponent of French revolutionary ideas, and and probably the person most responsible for for preventing the French Revolution from taking hold in 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 uh, Britain. Um, but when you open um, Burke's book, what you see is that he's he's an advocate of uh, of Anglo-American traditionalism, uh, or we, we call it conservatism today, but ba- basically it's a, a political theory that says that uh, that the, the heart of, of any constitution, of any political order is its is its religious and 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 legal traditions. Mm-hmm. And um, so when when you ask, well, how could he found the school at that time if he's defending the uh, the traditions, you immediately see this kind of absurd contradiction that actually Burke is not the founder of anything and he doesn't think he's the founder of anything. What he's doing is he's he's defending this tradition that for that he thinks is is four, five, six, seven hundred years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one of the uh, uh, one of the characters that I want to re uh, that that uh, I, I wanted to reintroduce uh, together with my historian friend, uh, uh, D- Dr. Ophira Ivry, who is the, the expert on Selden, um, w- was this figure, John Selden, who was the, um, who is named explicitly by, by, by Burke as, as one of his crucial forebears. Sel- Selden lived at the time uh, of the, at, at, at the first half of the 1600s, when, um, uh, after Queen Elizabeth died and uh, uh, James uh, James of Scotland became James the First of England, and uh, James had it was a political theorist and who, who wrote books on political theory. And his political theory was that the king makes all the decisions, and any kind of law comes from the king uh, by by right. And Selden, uh, who, who um, uh, was the, the the greatest common lawyer at the time, meaning he he was the greatest uh, jurist, in in addition to being the most p- important political theorist of his generation, he was a member of parliament, and uh, uh, and he um, t- together with uh, uh, with Coke and Eliot and, and and other famous people of his generation, he led the resistance against the king on the grounds that the English have an inherited constitution. And uh, he was the principal author of what was called the the Petition of Right. The Petition of Right uh, demanded 
that the king recognized traditional inherited uh, rights uh, of Englishmen that that had been, you know, ac according to to Selden and others, that had been discovered through trial and error uh, over over centuries. Uh, a tradition with its roots in the Bible, but then that was applied to uh, to to England over centuries, and they succeeded in getting uh, James the first to agree. That that these were in fact traditional rights. Now, what's interesting about um, about this uh, assertion of of rights against the crown is that um, going if we if we look a little bit forward, we'll see that the that the rights that Selden is talking about they're the same rights that then become the basis for the American Bill of Rights a century and a half later. And often people claim that the, the, that the Americans founded, you know, that their Bill of Rights is based on, on reason. And they don't like to mention that, uh, that the American Bill of Rights is actually a codification of English rights that, that had already been codified 150 years earlier. That's going forward. Now, if we go back just a little bit in history, to the late 1400s, we can find a book called In Praise of the Laws of England by John Fortescue, who is, is the inspiration for Selden. And, uh, and, and you open this book, you, you, can, you can buy a Cambridge, a new Cambridge, there's a new Cambridge edition that's really easy to read. It's a short book and the spelling's cleaned up so you can really easy, mm -hmm. easily understand it. And this fellow Fortescue who was also the, the chief justice uh, of England. Now we're in the late 1400s, which is like, it's crazy. You know, we're talking about 600 years ago. You open the book and it's like you're reading uh, about the American constitution today. There's the the, the separation of powers, um, the, the bicameral legislature, the the responsibility of parliament to, of, of the legislature to, for, for laws and taxation, the executive veto, the jury trial. I mean, it just, it just goes on and on. It's like you're, you're, you're reading something 600 years old, but but it's the same ideas that today people say, oh, no, they were invented at the time of the American Revolution. Well, they, they weren't invented at the time of the American Revolution. And um, to be a conservative, I think, is to, is, is to understand that, uh, that the, the, the freedoms that we cherish are based on an, a, a, a dense and complicated tradition. And if you don't know the tradition, then you don't know how, how to uphold it and, and you quickly lose it. Yes, I think one of the strength, great strengths of your book is you make the point that the American Constitution is a profoundly conservative document. It harkens back to a restoration of rights that George III was deprived, traditional rights that were being deprived. It wasn't necessarily a, a, a progressive document. It was saying, we, these are long established rights that, you're, that you are overturning, King George. I think that was a really helpful helpful background to the book. Um, right. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I just, I, I was just agreeing with you. I, oh, I, yeah. <laughs> well, apropos of John Selden, I wanted to squeeze in and mention that on your Twitter feed, which I recommend, Highly, because it's it's very it's very funny and it's 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 both substantive and, and amusing and you're, and you're back and forth with some of your critics online. But there's a I think recently there was a charming picture of you on your recent trip to Britain with a with understanding under the statue of John Selden, which in the in the House of Parliament I believe is that correct or yeah 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 I yes that. I mean I I I was uh, surprised to discover Selden's uh, towering statue uh, there and. Um, uh, my 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 friend who took the who was who was there in in uh, in London with me took the took the photograph had me I, maneuvered me I didn't realize that this is what was happening <laughs> to stand like under under Selden's outstretched arm and then then one of one of my Israeli colleagues said uh, Selden is blessing Chazoni for his his work <laughs> bringing him back it was it was it was a it was a it was a nice moment and. Oh, that's nice. No, I, and I, I think if we're talking about rediscovery, I think it's just it's important to emphasize that, you know, the, the great figures of the past, we only know who they are because um, because in every generation there are um, there are scholars and, and, and others who, who do the work of trying to rediscover them. I mean, this is this is something that people are not so aware of that that. Uh, you know, the, I did uh, an entire doctorate in political theory um, 
at Rutgers University. It was a very good doctorate, but I, I came out knowing a lot about liberalism and a lot about Marxism, but we never studied Fortescue or, uh, or, or uh, Selden or Matthew Hale or, or Blackstone or like Clarendon, any of these, these great conservative figures, uh, they, they had no place in the way that history was taught for us. And it's a responsibility that we have is, is to, to make sure that we always go back and, uh, and see who's been forgotten because the, you know, the way we're taught history is not always the best way. Well, I definitely recommend your book in that respect, because to me, many of the figures, and I'd like to like to think of myself as a fairly well-read person, but I realize I am not because these names are totally unfamiliar to me. As I said, John Selden, but Matthew Hale, I had, I may have seen his name, but, uh, but not re- realized the, the importance of his, of his, of his life and his thought. Well, speaking of, of getting back to your recent trip to Britain, where, you, where that picture was, where that photograph was taken, what was the reception of your book and what is the state of conservatism in Britain at this point? I know this, this obviously the summer has just been incredibly turbulent for the conservative party. Is there, is there resolve among, so where, where, what is the position of, for example, social conservatives in the, in the British, the Tory party at this point? I mean, that it seems as though Liz Truss was just all about taxes and Sunak is all about fiscal conservatism, but is there a place for social conservatives there? Well, that, 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 is among the big questions. I mean, the, the the Tory Party. Uh, I, I I was very fortunate to be to be asked to 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 speak in Parliament, and uh, oh really, that's exciting. Well, you know, I, I wasn't speaking, you know, from you know from the from the podium, obviously in the Parliament chamber, but it, they they had a side room, mm-hmm. and it it was nice. I I uh, was told to expect at most three or four. Uh, MPs for the meeting and and uh, 15 showed up and and it, it it was it was it was lovely and uh, in some ways uh, very encouraging and in, in addition to speaking um, to to the parliamentarians um, I, I uh, my um, my colleague and I had uh, uh, a, a a significant tour of. Uh, of of think tanks and interviews and uh, I, I mean the schedule was packed and exhausting and uh, many of the meals turned into you know f- four hour uh, discussions going you know, deep into theoretical questions and into pro- current politics and I I don't I don't claim to be an expert at, by any stretch uh, in 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 current British politics but um, m- my understanding is is that. Um, that the Tory party, the conservative party has, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways comparable to, to the American Republican party um, became, w- was drawn into uh, this idea of, of uh, free market liberalism, the European Union as, you know, a, a, as a, an instrument for erasing borders and eliminating national sovereignty. Um, you know, Margaret Thatcher would never have Stood for this kind kind of thing, but she, she was shooed aside in 1990, and after she was um, uh, ushered off the stage, the the, the Tories bit, went into this kind of uh, hyper liberal uh, period, and it's not it's not that you know that that the the, the traditionalists ever really you know completely disappeared. England look, England is a very very tradition oriented country, even you know, when, if the English don't quite recognize it, I mean, they still they they still have royalty. They still have a House of Lords. Mm-hmm. They still have the common law. They still have an established church. Now, you can you can say that the, you know these institutions are decaying and that people don't take them seriously, but the um, but at some level they do take them seriously, and so it's 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 strange to you know get to know the Tory Party and discover that in addition to uh, uh, serious conservatives. There, there, there are many liberals, and and there's some some who are you know deep into woke ideas, even in the Tory Party. Mm-hmm. And um, so and certainly so, Boris Johnson just seemed to be. I don't know why anyone would consider him a conservative at all. He was just this strangely unprincipled clown that, by sheer bravado, led that party. And I thought, what are they doing with him? It's it's well, he look in in 2019. He he um, put together a platform 
that was in a lot of ways a a a lot of ways a national conservative platform. By by the way, the the, the English they, they they call it one nation conservatism, which is the the term that uh, uh, that Benjamin Disraeli, the famous uh, conservative uh, prime minister from the end of the nineteenth century, he, he he coined this phrase one nation conservatism, um, which uh, and and his point of view was that the uh, that the that the new working classes. Um, could be a part of of a conservative party that a conservative party had to to take responsibility, you know, not, not just for the wealthy and the elites and the aristocracy, but but also for the working classes, mm. and and he proposed, you know, this this uh, uh, this ideal of a Tory party, which would be an alliance between. Uh, b- between you know the, the traditional aristocracy on the one hand and the uh, and and the new working classes, and so um, jo- Johnson, um, you know, I, mean, I think this this happens in politics sometimes that uh, that he and his people succeeded in putting together a platform that was that that uh, spoke that idea and succeeded in bringing a tremendous number of uh, of working class voters uh, to the Tory party. Um, and especially in new geographical areas too, where they had been right, weak in the past, right? Right, right. Throughout, through, throughout the former la- labor strongholds, it was a, a, a resounding, un, you know, almost unprecedented um, mm-hmm. Tory victory. But I think that that Johnson and his people were just were not prepared um, for that victory. They did. They 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 didn't know how. I I, I don't think that that Johnson, you know, was was you know was pur- purposely trying to trick people, but he wasn't was not prepared to govern on the basis of the platform that he had sold to the public. And so, um, you know, all, all of that has led to, to great confusion. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, Liz Truss was, was prime minister for five weeks this, this, this summer and um, her fi- fall after such a brief period, a historically brief period, I think um, was uh, t- triggered and just an astounding drop of the conservatives in the polls. They lost something like like thirty points in in three months, mm-hmm. and have not and have not recovered. And um, that um, that series of events, uh, I think, has created what what seems clearly to me to be a a, a a an opening for a solid, serious, systematic national conservatism, uh, which. Uh, you, you know the Tories may turn to it out of, you know, recognition that you know that they haven't kept their promises and they're they're going to be defeated badly for it, but maybe they can't do it, and it may turn out that you know some other party uh, for, uh, on the conservative right will take up that you know that cause that that that's you know possible under under. Uh, uh, under a parliamentary system, that a new party will 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 step forward. What's clear, I think, is that that there are you know hundreds of people, um, uh, uh, in, in intellectuals and political activists, um, deeply involved in uh, in right of center politics in the UK, who are now talking about the. Uh, the the importance of national conservatism as uh, as a set of ideas uh, for the UK. We we just um, announced the uh, the founding of a uh, of an Edmund Burke Foundation branch. That that that's my organization that runs the National Conservatism Conferences. And Professor James Orr from Cambridge is going to be. He's, he's, he is. Uh, the, the new, newly appointed uh, national head of uh, NatCon UK, and we're we're looking forward to a big uh, convention uh, in the spring. Well, speaking of Edmund Burke, I wanted to just say that one of the most valuable passages in your book or sections of your book that I found very useful was um, a, a comparison, a side by side comparison of the American founding father, Governor Morris, with Edmund Burke and the, and the differences and the sim- similarities between them. And that passage alone was worth the price of the book. I just thought that was wonderful and very, very illuminating. Uh, another another uh, moving from actually national politics to the social world that you recommend, and I found it very moving in your book that you talk about the effects of pandemic of the pandemic on American families and the rediscovery of of simple conservative values, such as because people were locked down thanks to over government overreach to a certain extent, but people right. were eating together and 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 that they were looking after 
the elderly members are trying to, because and one one of the things, speaking of the elderly people, is you make the point in the book, I was surprised by this, that you were very critical of the nuclear family and saying that that's relegated the elders of in our communities to assisted living and or retirement communities, and there's very little interaction. Could you talk about what you think that the pandemic has done for for conservatives conservatives if anything or or has it has it just made people fearful and dependent on the state and 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 not and not being self-reliant well look i i definitely i i i know that an awful lot of people suffered um suffered in 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 many different ways from you know from from the pandemic and the lockdowns and and uh confused government uh, government policies. This is true, you know, not just in America, but but in you know in many countries. Um, so I I don't I don't want to make it like you know some kind of like uh, 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 idyll or utopia or something. But uh, but on the other hand, America, like you know, like other Western countries, um, has I think been suffering. You know, people people talk about the effects of the breakdown of the family, but I think. I think that it's often very unclear um, what the traditional family was was actually like. I mean, the, there's this kind of image of the the 19 family 1950s nuclear family where you know the, there's a father who goes to work, there's a mother who stays at home, and you know, and they have two or three children in a d- detached suburban home, and the children go to school, and uh, and the mother's left at 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 home in the house, and um, you know, I, I, this is this nuclear family image. It's often conservatives talk about it as though there's something, you know, as though it's a traditional family, mm. and um, and it's actually very far from being a traditional family because, you know, up until, you know, up uh, up until the industrial revolution, up until uh, uh, hundred and fifty years ago, hundred and twenty years ago, the the average family was a business. You know, the family itself was was the central economic u- unit. It wasn't, you know, that the father went out to work mm-hmm. and the children went out to school. You know, maybe they went to school a little bit, but the but the children, you know, as soon as they got old enough, they they took part in a multi generational family. The, you know, it was it was not just the parents, the, but there there were uh, uh, often grandparents and 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 sometimes even great grandparents. There were often um, uh, brothers and sisters of their parents uh, within the community, so that cousins were an integral part of it. And a a lot of the uh, not only was was the business you know run by the the mother and father with you know with the help of the older people and the younger people together uh, but a lot of a lot of um education and religion was uh, was 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 passed down and when it wasn't passed down in the family the family was part of you know a broader uh congregation like a, a community of families who were kind of an extended family as well and um you know when when you get to uh, 1962, and 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 Betty Friedan, like the you know the 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 famous feminist writer, when she writes about um, the the nuclear family being a tomb, like a you know like a a crypt uh, for, for women, uh, women being you know buried alive there. I mean, it's a, it's a shocking, horrible image, but there is some truth to what she was saying because uh, because. You know, women, I don't, I don't think ever in history was there uh, this kind of sharp division of labor, where the woman was left uh, alone at home for most of the hours of the day and was supposed to be making, you know, making a home without the bonds of family and community, without, you know, without the husband in the house, without the children in the house, and, you know, the 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 fact that so many women. Um, you know, just just grew desperate and and decided they would they would also go out and 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 uh, and and uh, get jobs and and nobody seems to notice that 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 you know that that turning of the 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 nuclear home into a shell it's an empty shell basically where the mother the father and the children leave it for most of the waking hours of the day. Mm-hmm. The, 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 gra- the grandparents aren't there at all because they've all been you know, sent to a nursing home or something. Mm-hmm. And the, the, um, that empty shell is just, it's not a home. Now, all you need to do is like, you know, look at the, 
you know, for, for, for people who are, are willing to do a little experiment in, in, in uh, Bible literacy, the last chapter of, uh, of the book of Proverbs is a, uh, is a, is a poem to the woman of the house that, you know, we, we traditional Jews, we sing it every Friday, Friday night. And when, when you read that chapter, you'll see that, that, you, not only do you see that the, that the home is a business, but the woman of the house is in charge of that business. I mean, she 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 she's like you know uh, uh, doing negotiations with with mer merchants and selling items and producing things. She's like a, she's like running a factory, mm -hmm. and the uh, you know the 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 idea that we conservatives should say. You know, no, a, a, a woman's place is an empty home. She she shouldn't be involved in you know in the business. I, I think I think it's just completely it's it it it's completely twisted and unfair. And so, I'm sorry, I've been going on for a while, but I, no, it's, I it's something I'm passionate about that you asked about COVID. So, COVID by you know this draconian step of like you know kind of causing people to 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 be in their homes all the time um i know many many people um young people who who traveled hundreds or even thousands of miles to to rejoin their families because their colleges were closed mm. and uh, and and there were families where the, the the same thing happened with grandparents who moved in pe pe people rearranged their lives so that they that that in in you know in the limited space and under these these terrible external pressures people started um uh having family dinners again uh suddenly discovered the you know the the incredible bonds and ties that you can only have with your family that you don't you know you don't have with your college friends you only think you do mm. and um or your work your work situation your work you were your family right. no you're not <laughs> Right. No, no, you're, 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 no, I'm sorry. Your, 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 your work, your, your work might be a great place, but when, when, when your work gets tired of you, they fire you Yeah. and, and your family doesn't fire you a family, you know, the, the family is the people who you have these unchosen obligations to. And I think a lot of people caught a glimpse during the COVID years of, you know, of some of what has been lost and what might be gained. Hmm. Well, at this point, I just want to remind listeners that we are talking today with Yoram Hazoni about his book, Conservatism, A Rediscovery. And as I, as I was reading your, your section about families and the, the argument for extended families and families were multi-generational households, I was thinking that, that perhaps the future of conservatism lies with people who are, are recent immigrants, for example, from South Asia and Southeast Asia, and Hispanics, because they often have multi-generational multi -generational families and very traditional views of, of, I don't want to stereotype them, but is, is, is there a future for that? Or do they become assimilated into the secular um, liberalism as, as through, within one or two generations? Well, I, I, think, I think both of those things are true. I think, I, I think that um, uh, foreign immigrants are often, often much more conservative uh, than uh, than Americans or Brits or Europeans, I mean, meaning than 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 the the society that they're moving into. I mean, they, they're coming primarily because uh, because they, they they want better employment, uh, but they hope to be able to to maintain very often their traditional family structures. I, in in my experience, for most communities, it 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 doesn't last and it gets broken down. The, mm. the, the children, uh, the the children, and certainly the grandchildren are uh, resentful. Why can't I lead, you know, a liberal life, you know, just like my friends, where I'm free from all of these inherited obligations? Um, but on the other hand, um, if anything is anything at all is going to change, then it's it 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 is in a, in a more conservative direction. It's certainly going to uh, involve some kind of uh, some kind of broad coalition of uh, people who still value a conservative life with, you know, with others who, who, you know, are, are more liberal, but at least, you know, they, they look and see the, the, the cultural revolution that the woke neo-Marxism is bringing. And I, I, I think a lot of, a lot of liberals are, are becoming aware that, that there's a, there's a choice that has to be made here. You 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 can't pretend it's not there. Um, if you don't want woke neo-Marxism, 
to be the dominant public religion or public philosophy mm. uh, 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 of, of the United States, or at least the part of the country where you live, then you're, there's going to have to be a, a politic, political coalition in support of, uh, of traditional values, which are basically biblical values. They're, they're, you know, in, in America, they're fundamentally uh, uh, Christian, Christian values and Christian traditions. And um, I, I'm, I'm Jewish, I'm an Orthodox Jew. And I think that, um, that Orthodox Jews, like a lot of other non-Christians who are uh, c concerned about the, 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 what's coming, I, I think a lot of us would, would rather um, make some kind of, um, uh, build some kind of coalition with, with, our, with our, our Christian neighbors in order to try to save some of the traditions and revive them. Well, there's a very effective and very funny, but also very telling and sobering passage in your book. It's all three it's funny, thought-provoking, and 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 scold, scold a, a righteous scolding of, of 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 young or not even young, just conservative men. And you make the point that many conservative, so-called conservative men, although they might be libertarian, but you say they're basically living a liberal lifestyle. They call themselves conservative, but you make the point that many of them have this rather sad lonely life where they have liberal friends or liberal values and they're they're single they don't have families and they all they have is a stack of conservative magazines to read and i thought that was a, a funny image and i wonder if you could talk about the fact that the, the, the rebuilding the marriage culture for example I, I was in in the very moving section of your book about your time at princeton the fact that you married very young and that you found your wife who who also wanted that life and that must be very hard for pe young people these days. And also another aspect of your book that was somewhat related to this is that you make the point that you had to seek out solidity, social solidity and foundational life because at Princeton at that time, there was a very loose, decadent, highly promiscuous lifestyle that you were surrounded by and you and your future wife just rebelled against that and you found, found a home. And I wonder, would you send your, your own children to Princeton today or is it, or, or, what what would you recommend to a young person trying well, I, to find the happiness you found? Look, I'll, I'll I'll tell you a secret that I my my oldest daughter uh, went to Princeton, mm -hmm. and uh, um, we have we have uh, nine children, mm -hmm. uh, and, and so far it seems like none of the others are going to go through what she went through. I mean, none of them want to, mm -hmm. uh, but but my my oldest daughter because because she. Uh, she went to Princeton, so I got I got to see the scene um, a generation later through her eyes, mm -hmm. and um, and all sorts of things have changed. But the 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 fundamental thing that that I'm uh, that I was describing there has not changed, and that is that um, the the whole concept of um, of an eighteen year old going away to college to you know basically um leaving the parents leaving the family and and going to a place where all the other people are also between 18 and and 21 or 22 they've also all left uh their parents they've left you know uh the, the their hometowns and whatever roots they've had mm -hmm. and they're they're in a place where you know we we think about uh the university as you know, as an educational institution, in some ways it is, but in a lot of ways it's not, because uh, because you, mostly you don't have any contact with professor. I, I mean, with with adults, you you only you know you 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 go see the professors, you hear them in classes, but that's a very small part of the of the schedule. The overwhelming majority of the week of of university students is spent with other university students, and they they don't. You know, nobody is, you know, regardless of whether they're liberal or conservative or Marxist in their, you know, in, in, in their opinions, I think none of them realize that what's happened is that they've all been cut off from their roots. Even, if, you know, even if they had good roots in, in, in their family, they're all cut off. And, you know, and, and um, hundreds or thousands of young people um, uh, l living in dorms with only with other young people, you you've basically decided for them that there are going to be no role models. Mm. That they're they're not going to be around families. They're not going to see um, how husbands and wives 
you know, at this, this crucial stage where they're, they're really first beginning to be capable of noticing, you know, really what things are, are happening around them. And um, look, if, if, if you don't grow up around older couples who have succeeded in keeping mm. their marriage together for 40, 50, 60 years, if you, if you don't live with them, your chances of being able to reproduce it without ever having seen it are, are extremely small. And the same thing is with, with, with raising children. You know, people don't know how to raise children. They, they're scared of raising children. They're scared of having children. Mm. And, you know, so your question about, you know, you know, th this, this, this liberal life, which is, it's, it's the life of people, even if they've, you know, they vote for conservative parties, it doesn't make any difference most of the time because, because they've been deprived of an environment where they could see how marriages work, how, how, how congregations work, how extended families work, that they don't ever, almost ever get to see uh, the care for the the elderly, and they don't they don't know what the they don't know what contribution grandparents make to a family. Like they 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 uh, they, they they go to classes where they read Locke or Rousseau, and Locke and Rousseau and these Enlightenment rationalist thinkers um, talk about family as though it ends at the age of eighteen or twenty, and 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 most people think that now that that. You know, you you just go away and and you you know you decide to do whatever you want to do. Well, that 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 sounds great, but the the reality is that without any any inheritance, without any guardrails, without any models of role models, most people end up or a lot of people end up terribly unhappy. They they don't know what they want to do, and that you know that that makes them prey to you know to to. Well, everybody knows this to 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 uh, uh, killing the time with uh, uh, with video games or television or drugs or porn or or, or alcohol. It's it, it's all trying to suppress the pain of not having good models for for how an inherited tradition can 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 give you good directions. Yeah, you have a very fascinating section in your book about you point out what the enlightenment thinkers and you rattle them off the people those thinkers that never had children Locke never had children neither did Descartes Hobbes Spinoza or Kant and then Rousseau had children but he gave them all away for because they were nuisance to him so he got rid of them so I thought that was very very telling um right in, oh, I'm sorry Descartes no, I just I, I need to to to, to correct this that they, they oh, okay. because it's a mistake that I've made. Descartes oh, right. actually had a daughter outside of marriage so mm. like like he he had a he he had a daughter she died at the age of five and mm. and and you know that's like that's like rousseau it's like you know every one of these the the people who are absolutely at the center of enlightenment rationalist political and social thought you know who wrote all these books about how to raise children and it, i mean it's it's just it's preposterous that when 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 you read them as a person you know who who actually um, lives in a community where people are raising children. I mean, you, you just feel like you're, you're, you're reading people who are completely ignorant of the subject they're writing about. I was, I was going to say too, when you talk in the book about the need to create those communities and they, and you talk about, and people have to create those communities, have to seek out other conservatives. And you, and, and also you make the point that it's never too late that you can be an older person and still create that, create that community. I wonder, could you comment on the national sorting that's happening geographically? Because I know that there are many young, by word of mouth, I've just heard that there are many young family, family age, young parents that are leaving Oregon, which is this increasingly death culture, sad atheistic state and moving lock stock and barrel with their young children to florida to create those communities are you finding you you yourself have, have done that to a certain extent with your move to i mean you you live a, a very transatlantic or trans trans transnational life with your life in israel versus america have you could you talk about your own your own life and did, did your did your wife have trouble adjusting to the israeli life because she's not jewish herself originally um, we we um, well. First of all, if 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 uh, if if my wife Julie, if if she had not been a driving uh, force in in all of this, then then none of it would have happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the uh, you know, I'm I, I'm 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 writing a book with my name on it. But the 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 truth is that that all of these ideas that we're talking about are you know about 
family and child raising and and honoring parents and uh and and being part of a congregation all of these are ideas that uh she and i together were pretty much ignorant about almost all of this you know when 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 we met our freshman year in college and um and you know we we spent decades um finding those role models trying out different communities in constant constant conversation between you know the two of us and some of our other friends but especially between the two of us you know we, we would we would go for a sabbath meal at uh, at a at at a fa- at a new family and then we'd go home and we'd we'd sit and process everything that we saw you know all all, all evening long did you see that you know that the father did this that the mother did that did you see what the grand, grandparents did this and the ch- what happened when the children misbehaved i mean th- this went on for many years and this uh, the 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 book is is um, you know, I, I I wrote it, but the the ideas are are Julie's and my ideas, and there there were plenty of sections of the book where, even after I wrote it, she she said, no no no, you can't say this because you know we actually think you know something else, and then she would mm-hmm. explain to me what we think, and then we talk it through, <laughs> and no th- th- this 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 happened repeatedly, and and um, so uh, the. It, it, to make a long story short, the the the, the story was that um, that she had a glimpse of traditional uh, Christian family life from her grandparents' home, because uh, there, there were parts of her childhood that that where she lived with her grandparents, mm. and I had a glimpse of it from my uh, of of uh, Orthodox Jewish life from my aunt and uncle. Um, uh, who who had six children and were living in an Orthodox community uh, in Israel, and when we decided to uh, to move to Israel, we now live in in Jerusalem. We live in you know in a neighborhood. It's not it's not Orthodox. It's not all Orthodox, but you know it, there's there's about 15, 15 little synagogues in our neighborhood. So it's it's a mm. um, that there there are many flavors of. Uh, uh, religious Jews and less religious Jews, but it's a very, very traditional uh, community, and and we're we are still learning. I mean, we we have a a, a new Orthodox uh, congregation that we joined uh, two years ago, right after COVID, and um, and there are many many things about this new congregation and and uh, uh, the the way that it uh, folds the children of the community into. Uh, like a kind of a, a learning experience all week long, we're still we're still learning, and we're going to learn, you know, I, God willing, un, un, until the very end. And I I think that to your question about people moving to Florida, look, I think it's really really healthy for people to um, who realize that they're they're living in uh, in decay and collapse to move to a place that can be healthier. Mm. But, but I think it would be a mistake to think that it's sufficient uh, to move to a healthier state because, because if, if you yourself personally do not have um, in, in the local congregation or, or, or community, if you don't have older models, like you know uh, uh, models of examples of married people who've been able to stay married, then you're not going to know how to do it. And you, you can read a hundred books about, you know, how to make your relationship work or how to raise children. Th- th- these things are, look, they're better than nothing, but they're, they're close to worthless because people learn things from people. They learn things from older people. They don't learn things from books. And, you know, the, even if the things that are in the books are true uh, un- until you actually um, experience it, see it over and over again with your own eyes. You don't, you don't understand it. You just don't get it. And um, you know, it's like reading a book about a tiger or an elephant, and then seeing a real one. Like it doesn't matter what it says in the book. You, you don't get it. And so, what I'm, I'm hoping, you know, with 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 this book is in in part to touch, and probably more important than anything else, is to to talk about the conservative life, which is a life in which you recognize that your own independent thinking about things is not good enough. It can't be good enough. You, you, you have to find older people who themselves are 
uh, have inherited the tradition and are in the business of passing it down. And, um, and that's the way human beings work. That's the way we're happy is when, when we're around, when young people are around older people that they can learn from, and when older people are around younger people who they can pass their knowledge to. If you're not in that life of conservation and transmission, it's very hard to be happy. I was going to say that in your book, we're getting towards the end, and I, I've, there's so much I wanted to ask you, but I promised I wouldn't keep you too long. But I, I wanted to say that in the book, you talk about the transmission of values, and you give you use terms that young people never even hear anymore, such as God-fearing and the words honor and constraint. And I think those, I just recommend that young people who, are, who are, don't understand conservatism should read the book because at least they'll understand what, who they're, who, what it is and what they, what they can take from it, even if they're liberals. Well, I have take, well, Yoram, I've taken up a lot of your time. I'd like to ask you now the traditional final question on the New Books Network, and that is, what are you working on now? Oh gosh, I'm working. <laughs> You're a busy man. I know it's hard to. It was hard to arrange an interview with you. So, oh, but but you 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 mean what book am I working on? Or I mean, or anything, but, any project at all, whatever whatever you you have in your busy intellectual and organizational life. Well, I I I describe the fact that like we're we're right now in the you know in the process of setting up uh, NatCon UK, mm. and uh, um and there's uh, there's a. A, a big upsurge of interest also in uh, in Italy where where Georgia Maloney who was a who was a speaker at our conferences before the whole world knew about her has just become prime minister um so so I I'm I, I'm I'm definitely working on those things but um I have a I have a book manuscript that I've been working on I'm embarrassed to say this but it's it's literally true I've been working on it for 20 years <laughs> it's a, it's a it's a book on human nature and how the mind works and I, I you know I don't I don't know if people are going to be interested in what I have to say on the subject but it it is it is the basis for uh for serious conversations about uh politics or family uh or religion or or uh, just about anything is to un- understand you know what human beings are like and 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 how we think. Um, so I'm working on that. I'm, I, I'm I'm hoping someone will be interested in publishing it. Well, I hope I would. Well, we'll be very interested in, in talking about it in the New Books Network because we're all about books. So I I very much enjoyed talking to you today, and I just want to thank the author we've been talking to today, Yoram Yoram Hazoni, author of the book Conservatism: A Rediscovery. And thank you, Yoram, and thank you, listeners. Bye bye. Bye bye.